All the signs are there. The looming 2021 summer could be another disastrous wildfire season in Oregon and the West. Drought, low humidity, and high temperatures have primed the landscape. Recently, snowpack in the Rogue and Umpqua Basins dipped to 31%. Jackson and Douglas counties are a mixture of severe to extreme drought. Neighboring Klamath County is faring even worse. On May 12th, the Oregon Department of Forestry's Southwest Division declared the start of fire season in Jackson and Josephine counties, meaning no controlled burning. Later, depending on the fire danger level, other activities could be limited or banned. Last year in September, the Rogue Valley saw a worst-case scenario of fire season's real danger come to life, with three dead and thousands of structures destroyed from the Almeida and South Open Chain fires. Fast forward nine months, and those fires are still fresh in a lot of people's minds. What can happen has happened. This past weekend, state forestry crews pounced on another fire outside White City. While they were able to hold it to 49 acres, the presence of smoke drifting over Roxy Inn Peak may have been enough to stop you in your tracks. In a different way than before, I mean. It's enough to make anyone anxious, and understandably so. Both the Almeida and South Open Chain fires are incidents that wildland firefighters will carry with them for the rest of their life, ODF Public Information Officer Natalie Weber says. Natalie, also a former reporter, is today's guest on the podcast. We'll discuss last fire season, how firefighters are dealing with it, what it means for preparedness in our region, and new technology the agency says will give them a leg up on firefighting. All with some perspective that only an individual who has been on both sides of the camera can offer. This is Ryan File, and you're listening to The Insider. Natalie, welcome, and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. To start with, I was hoping you could tell me a bit about your um, professional journey. You used to be a TV reporter here and then made the transition over to the Oregon Department of Forestry. So you understand fully what it's like to be on my end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually got into journalism as my senior project in high school. Um, and I, I wasn't super interested in it. I wanted to do film, but I just didn't really have an option for my project. And so um, I ended up at KOBI at Channel 5 here locally. And I did an internship there. And just absolutely fell in love with reporting and news and all of that. Um, and then when I turned 18, they offered me a job as a producer. And so I um, started doing that. And from there, became a reporter and then an anchor. Um, and I spent about eight years in, in news as a reporter, anchor, and producer. Um, but then it was just time to try something new. And uh, ODF really came up. And it was just a good opportunity because, like you said, I had that background. So I knew what information needed to be out there and what reporters needed. I'm not a wildland firefighter, but I have to imagine the feeling going into this fire season has some added urgency because of last year. Is that the case? What's the general overall mindset and shared perspective among wildland firefighters from where you're sitting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in in one sense, it it feels like any other year and we're just gearing up for fire season because that's what we do. Um, but on the other hand, you know, after last year, it really changed a lot for a lot of people. Um, a lot of our firefighters and really everyone, just our entire staff and going 
experience through um, that day, you know, with Almeida and with Oban Chain. And, um, you know, that's something that everyone's really, I think, going to carry with them for the rest of their lives, whether you're a first responder who was there or you're part of the community who lived through it, um, you know, that impacts us all. And it's something that we will all take with us through the rest of our lives. But from a professional perspective, um, you know, we're still ready to gear up and we're still ready to go. And we're running through our, our normal hiring period like we normally do. Um, things are pretty ops normal, aside from the fact that we've learned a lot from last year. And it's really sparked a lot of good conversations with our community. Um, and that's what we've really been needing because we we spend a lot of time talking about fire prevention and, you know, defensible space and getting ready. Um, but we don't always have that buy-in from the community. And, um, you know, if one good thing could come out of what happened last year, it's that people really want to, to know that and they want to be prepared and they want to do that. Um, so that is, you know, we consider that a win um, because anything that our community does to prepare helps us in the long run as well um, when it comes to protecting their home or their neighborhood. Um, so, you know, we, we learned some good lessons and that's really helping us moving forward. Um, but, you know, as far as what it feels like going into, you know, it, it just feels like fire season and, you know, we're getting staffed up and we're getting geared up and we've already responded to 83 fires this year. So, you know, in a way I feel like fall should be right around the corner right now because it's been busy. Um, but that's just the weather that we've been having. Have you talked about that as an agency? I ask because last season took such a toll on everyone. I mean, we were six months into a worldwide pandemic, and here comes one of the most destructive fires in modern history. And to clarify, a majority of the Almeida fire destroyed structures and municipalities, but it certainly got the attention of all area agencies. You know, it's it's been interesting because, you know, we, we have a ton of seasonal staff. And so we, we only have about 30 permanent full-time employees um, on the district for the winter. And so, you know, all, all of that happened in September and everyone was geared up and just going for it. And then, you know, most of our staff were done for the season. And so, um, you know, we didn't, not everyone had that time together to have those conversations. And so, you know, the rest of our permanent staff, we were left here and it, it was difficult, at, you know, in the beginning because, you know, you always have those thoughts of, oh, I could have done that better. Or, you know, if only, um, you know, this could have been different or, you know, things like that. And, and so everyone, you know, was having those conversations and having those thoughts and then, and taking some time off too to just, um, you know, relax and kind of, um, take a moment to step aside and, and think about those things and not just be, you know, still working through, you know, all the day-to-day -day things. And, you know, that's pretty typical for us. We work really hard in the summer when everyone takes their vacations and then we take ours in the fall. But, you know, it definitely was a different tone last year. Um, and, you know, people really needed the time off to process what they had gone through. Um, so, and that's just been a theme, you know, throughout the winter and the spring as we're talking about gearing up for fire season is, you know, um, the, the things that we learn. And, um, you know, we have our fire school that we do every year starting um, on June 1st this year. And I know that that's something that, you know, they're going to be touching on is, um, you know, we, we made it through last year and this is what we learned. And, 
this is what we want to remember going into this year, especially with the weather outlook that we have right now, where it, it looks like it's going to be pretty warm and pretty dry. Um, and that fire behavior could be increased for this summer. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really all about those lessons and then just, and talking about it and being open because keeping that inside, obviously doesn't help anyone or anything. So, but everyone here is such a family because we go through things like that on a regular basis. Um, you know, fires are always stressful, even if it's not threatening a community, like, um, those ones did, you know? And so we have that, um, that support network here and that really helps too. So with that in mind, even if we don't have the fire season we had last year, you're always looking to get better as an agency, you know, and that applies to anything. Always thinking, how can we do this better, smarter, faster? And we've done a couple stories recently, one on a piece of technology that sounds like a sure thing, another that's not quite there yet, but I wanted to talk to you about both. So let's start with the one that's basically part of the arsenal now, and that's the specialized helicopter with night vision. Forrester Dave Larson called the helicopter a, quote, game changer. Take me through why that is and how it works. Absolutely. So like you said, it's not official official, but we're working on those details right now and we're hoping to actually bring it onto the district um, starting June 1st uh, on, a, on a contract. And um, the way that it works is it, it would be a severity um, ship, as we call it. And that means that... Um, it is, it's state funded, but it's parked here in our backyard. And so it's a resource that we can use here and down the district in Jackson and Josephine counties. But if there is, you know, a larger incident elsewhere where it's needed, it can actually go and be sent up there. So, you know, it's, it's not dedicated to the district hundred percent, like some of our other helicopters are every year. Um, but it's still a great resource. And, and we've, we really haven't, I don't think we've had a type one on the district ever. Um, that's, that's been here. So that's really exciting. But beyond that, like you said, um, you know, we are working to the point where we can have, uh, night flight capabilities and that's kind of the big talker this year. Um, and why that matters is because, you know, if you think about it, when you have fire, it, it needs that heat, um, to, to fuel, it needs the heat, the oxygen and the fuels. And so, a lot of the times when we really make great progress on fire is at night when you don't have the heat of the day fueling it. So, you know, the fire behavior dies down, the flame lengths die down um, because things just cool off. So it's not burning as hot and we can really do some really good work in that time, but, you know, we can't use aircraft. And so that is, um, that's something that really helps us as well. So it's like, you know, you can't have one, but you can have the other. Um, if all goes according to plan with this helicopter, we'll be able to have both. And it would be, um, you know, the pilots would be specially certified to be able to fly at night with their instruments and everything. Um, and, and just be that extra resource that we need um, up in the air. And so, you know, that's why it's a big deal um, because it's, it's, it's one thing that we've never, ever had before. Um, and it's, it's a first and it's really needed here. And so it's something that we're, we're gearing up for and we're hoping that we can start testing that out in August um, and seeing how that's gonna work with the goal of being able to have that for all of fire season 2022. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. 
um, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be another learning process where we're figuring things out and making sure that, you know, we're doing everything safely and by the book and, um, making sure that we're, you know, that that's, that's the most important thing, really what it comes down to. Yeah. It, it's a cool toy and it's, it's a great resource that we could use. Um, but as long as we can do it safely, that's the number one. And then just figuring out how, um, how we're going to use that and what that's going to look like. And, um, you know, cause <laughs> doing that, you know, we have, um, ground to air talk all the time between our, our firefighters around the ground and, and all of that, but nighttime, that might be a whole different game as well. So it's just going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out and how it goes. And, um, you know, I, I know, even though we've never even tried it, it's going to make a big difference. It's just going to be working out those kinks and making sure that we're doing that safely. The pilots have to be certified. There's a lot of things that have to happen to make sure that um, they're going to be safe to do that. But, um, you know, they, in under all those perfect circumstances, they have the capability to fly at night. And to my knowledge, it is like a goggle type situation where they're, they can just, you know, they have that night vision. Um, but it, that comes with a lot of training and certifications as well. So let's shift gears slightly to something else that isn't a sure thing. And that's this concept of having a dozen or so video cameras installed around Jackson and Josephine counties that helps firefighters in the general public to spot wildfires early on. Now, this is different than the separate network of cameras the Oregon Department of Forestry already utilizes to spot wildfires. Take me through the differences between the two and how this new uh, hoped-for network is different. So um, alert wildfire is something that um, it's used in California, um, and it's been proposed here in Oregon. Um, and what it is, is it's a series of cameras that are accessible to the public. And so anyone at any time can log on, see this website. And, and take a look at these cameras and see what's happening. Um, and it, it sounds like, you know, they would be installed in more populated areas like cities um, and things like that. Um, and it's that it's different than ours because it's, um, you can't move them. And so, you know, it's that, just that static shot of the area. Um, so it's, it's a great resource for, you know, if, you just want to monitor the situation and see what's going on with your own eyes without having to go there. That's awesome. You know, or if you, maybe you have family who lives here that you want to kind of keep an eye on a situation for them. Um, you know, that's, that's what it would be really good for. Our system is different in the sense that we use it for, um, our first responders, whether that's, um, police fire, whether it's an ODF incident or, you know, even something that another structural agency is doing that we're not even mutual aid on, we can provide them information about their fire. And so, you know, someone will call in and say, hey, you know, I want to report um, a fire. It's really fast moving, you know, it's in this area kind of a thing. And we can go in and actually zoom in and look at that um, and give, you know, a, a size up and update on that fire before we even get close to having a unit on scene. And that helps us, um, one, figure out how many resources we need to send to it um, because, you know, a fast moving fire to us is probably different than a fast moving fire to the public um, who just aren't, you know, used to being around in that environment kind of a thing. Um, and then, you know, it just helps us to monitor it and then help our, you know, if we have other agencies responding to it, they can 
you know, we have them request all the time. Can ODF see it? You know, what do they see? Um, and it, it really helps us be really effective and efficient at, um, at that, you know, attacking that incident and figuring out what it's going to take before we even get there. Um, so right now we have um, 14 cameras that are up and running uh, throughout Jackson and Josephine counties, or camera sites, I should say. There are two cameras at each site. Um, and we're adding two more this year with um, hopefully more in the future that we're working on as well. Um, and it really just provides us a, a very good uh, overview of both Jackson and Josephine counties. So whereas these alert wildfire ones would be more concentrated in popular populated areas, ours are all over the place and they're in a lot of rural areas. And so, um, you know, when, when we don't have people who are in those areas, um, you know, sometimes we spot fires before they're ever called in. And so that's another advantage to it is that we have those initial detections is what we call them. And those are all spotted by our detection specialists who are trained to see and find smokes and what they look like. And then um, know the difference between smokes and clouds or smokes and water dogs, which is just basically um, water from typically when we get thunderstorms and it starts to heat up, you have that moisture in the air and that can look like smoke. So they're trained to know the difference between all of those things. And for the most part, they are spot on at, at seeing that and recognizing it. And that helps us too, when we're out trying to chase lightning starts, they can differentiate between, okay, that's a smoke and that's a water dog. Um, so it's, that's how it's different. You know, ours, um, it's not for the public because the primary use is just to, is for the first responders and for their safety and for that information. Um, you know, whereas this other one would be more for those populated areas. I did want to add that Virginia Gibbons, who is a public information officer for the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest, was not able to attend our little chat today, but did send me an email with a couple bullet points on firefighting tech the U.S. Forest Service uses that I wanted to share. The agency's Siskiyou Repel Crew, which is based out of Merlin in Josephine County, has an unmanned aircraft system they can remote pilot, and the Forest Service's Portland office is also looking to purchase a drone. At a regional level, they're also looking to form an interagency group that utilizes unmanned uh, aircraft systems in a similar way. And I just wanted to include that. What is that like to utilize uh, technology that's beyond your typical, you know, engines and hoses and water uh, to be immersed in so much more tool-wise? It's, you know, it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, we, you know, we have drones too. And um, and we're starting to use them for investigations. We're starting to use them for, um, you know, flying over the perimeter to get a better look at what we're really dealing with, especially when it's in, you know, really rough terrain that's just hard to walk um, or even, you know, get to drive to. Um, and it's just cool, you know, and it's fun to, to do that and to get to use these, I mean, basically toys, you know, <laughs> everyone wants to go out and fly a drone. And, um, you know, to be able to use that and, and be so much more efficient and effective, um, in that way, it's, you know, it's, it's really cool to watch and it's, you're right. It's cool to talk about and see, um, you know, we, we have so many aircraft on the district. We have a helicopter sitting out there right now. And it's just, it's amazing to see what they can do out on a fire and, you know, just with one bucket drop and, um, you know, our air tankers, those, they, those come in handy, you know, creating that fire line initially and 
Um, it's just awesome, you know, and we're so fortunate, you know, part of the reason why we're fortunate is because we live in such a fire prone area. So maybe that's not super lucky, but, you know, to be able to have these resources because we need them, um, you know, is a, is a huge blessing and it's something that we work hard to secure every year. Being that you were in journalism for as long as you were, and now you're distributing information for a public agency, um, what benefits do you find having worked in both areas? And I was also curious if there were any challenges that brought with it too. You know, it, it was a pretty seamless transition for me, um, just because they're so similar. Um, being a PIO for an, an agency is kind of like being a reporter for an agency because I do the same things that I used to do. You know, I, we get a fire and I, I post about it on Facebook <laughs> and then I go out there and I, you know, I talk to the incident commander and I get the info, um, you know, and I do more posts and I, but then the difference is I turn around and I give the interviews instead of, you know, actually uh, conducting them myself. So um, but that's fun, you know, and it's it, and it's important because our community needs to know what's going on. And so, you know, I really enjoy helping you guys get the stories that you get. And, um, you know, it helps because I, I can pretty much predict what you're going to ask or what I, you know, what I think that you want to know. And, um, you know, I'm always I'm always looking for that story, too. And so to be able to, um, you know, help our local journalists get those stories and get, um, get the video that they need to show people what's going on and, um, you know, get the interviews and talk to the firefighters and, and get that perspective out there. Um, I think it's awesome. And I, I love making that happen and being that, um, you know, kind of person in the middle pulling the strings to, to make those things happen. And, um, you know, uh, I have, I've had people ask, you know, is it hard to not want to just write their story for them? And it's like, no, that's, that's your guys' thing, you know, like that's where you get to come in and be creative. But I just, I have a lot of fun setting those things up and I try to, you know, if we can't make something happen, everyone always wants to ride in the helicopters and that's just never going to be a thing. Cause I don't even get to ride in the helicopters. So I get those requests and it's like, well, we can't do that, but you know, how do you feel about this? And I always try to have an alternative and um, you know, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be a part of that storytelling process and be able to sit back and kind of watch what they come up with and, um, you know, do the best I can to tell our story so that you guys can go out and, and tell our story. And, you know, there's so many people who don't enjoy being in front of a camera, um, and, you know, say that, oh, I don't envy your job at all. But honestly, I think I have the best job because <laughs> it's just fun. And it's just, it's cool to be able to, um, you know, to make that happen and then to provide our community with the information that they so need and want. Um, you know, it's been amazing this year to see um, on our Facebook how many people have been um, viewing our posts and, um, and commenting. And, you know, there's been a lot of people who have a lot of fears and concerns after last year. And that's so understandable. Um, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. It's, it's on every post. And, um, you know, and I, I get that. I think to those people, I, you know, I would just say, um, use that to your advantage and, and prepare, you know, we, we don't want people to go into this fire season being scared because what happened that day was a totally isolated event. That's not the typical fires that we see, um, at all here. It's not to say that it's not possible because obviously it is, and it could happen again. 
but you know, we had uh, really hot temperatures. We had really low relative humidity. Um, and then we had that east wind event. That was a, a 20 year event, you know, that doesn't happen every year. We get east winds, but nothing like that. And we all knew that day that if we got a fire, it was just not going to be good because of those conditions and everything was so dry. So, you know, I think it's important for people to know that, yeah, that can happen, but it, it's probably not going to anytime soon. Um, those aren't the typical conditions that we see and that we are, you know, used to fighting in. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't want you to be scared, but we want you to be aware and we want you to be prepared. And, you know, that looks like having a bag ready to go and packed, you know, if there are clothes that you don't wear very often, put them in a bag and leave them in a closet by your door, leave it in your car. Um, you know, know where your important documents and photos and things are. And if you don't want to have them all in one place to be ready to go, um, make a list of those things. So you don't have to think about it in the moment and you can just go down the list and say, okay, yeah, I have that. I have that. Um, you know, if you have pets pack for them and think about those things and then think about, you know, what you would want in a situation when you just feel totally out of control, something that's comforting to you, whether it's like a blanket that you always curl up in front of the TV with, or, you know, just something that's going to make you feel better in that moment. Um, cause it's, that's a stressful time and anything you can do now to help you prepare for a situation like that, however, you know, possible or not possible it is, um, that's going to make you feel better. And you're going to go into this fire season feeling like, okay, well, at least I don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, so anything that people can do right now is, is, uh, it's a big deal and it's important. So is there anything else on the horizon of note, uh, at ODF right now that pertains to what we're talking about? You know, it's, it's just that time of year where we're gearing up and we're, we're getting ready to go. And, um, you know, I, I would encourage people to follow us on Facebook. Um, I typically, whenever we have a fire that breaks out, um, that's where I'm, I'm posting things immediately. And so, um, it's a great resource for our community. Um, and you know, if you have questions about things, ask, um, you know, we, we love to have that community interaction. That's, I mean, literally my job and I really enjoy it. So, you know, please reach out and ask questions and, you know, we want you to feel confident and comfortable going into fire season and, and knowing, you know, who we are and what we do in our mission. You know, we, our mission is always to put out fires as, as quickly as we can and keep them as small as possible. That's literally our directive that is written into law. And so that's what we do, you know, and, um, you know, our first priority is life safety. And then our second priority is putting out the fire as quickly and keeping it as small as possible. And so, um, you know, if people have questions about that, about um, just how we operate or, or anything, you know, we want to hear about that. Um, we also have a lot of opportunities for people to, um, you know, if they're cleaning up their property and, and trying to create defensible space, we get grants every year for usually different areas and people can get a lot of that work reimbursed. Um, so it's worth reaching out in the fall about those things too and seeing what's available because you can get help in, in doing that, especially because of where we live. There's a lot of opportunities to get help, whether that's um, help with the work or help financially or both. Um, so it's worth looking into and you know we, that's what we're here for. So please reach out. Well, Natalie, thank you very much for the time and uh, taking us through so many things today. It was very enlightening and I really appreciate your time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great.